Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 243 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, um, I say as ever, he's, he's been with me many, many times now. It is the former heavyweight world title challenger himself, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how are you, my man? I'm good, my man. How are you feeling, Joe? <clears throat> Very good. Always a pleasure when speaking to you, Eddie. So this show is going to be... Um, Slightly different, I guess. Eddie's gonna have his his um his his lockdown knockdown story time come back this week. Obviously, we we spoke quite in depth the first time. This is uh, the second edition of that. It's gonna be bite sized though this week. There is a very in depth interview coming up later on in the show. So we're gonna keep the stories um, with Eddie to um like a bite-sized piece, probably about 20 minutes or so. Um, before we get into that, though, there has been some boxing action back on the screens, which has been fantastic. By the way, if you're listening in the UK, I should inform you that um, I don't know if, if the streaming online and stuff like that has been reliable because, you know, the pandemic and stuff like that, I don't know if, if, if online sporting streams are, you know, on their game at the minute. Um, so I decided to subscribe to an app on the iPhone. I think you can get it on Android, stuff like that. It's called Fight TV, F-I-T-E-T-V. Um, and it's very interesting. You, you you can subscribe to top ranks boxing events, so you get everything that they put out. Um, I think it's £5 a month. It's a subscription thing. You can cancel at any time. I think it's, uh, you know, you need to cancel like two days before it ends to not get recharged something like that but it's well worth it in my opinion five pounds a month if you've got a smart tv you can press a button within the app on your iphone um, or whatever device you've got and it throws the picture onto the tv so i was watching um the you know the event this week with shakur stevenson on my tv you don't have to keep the app open on the phone you can do other other things on that and it throws it onto the tv in you know in in good definition in high definition still in hd so that was really cool that was a good investment so again if you're over here in the uk and you don't have espn plus which of course isn't available over here then fight tv is your answer to that um yeah let's get into that card there i don't suppose you saw it eddie but i'm just gonna fly through what unfolded um it's a strange one because they they call this venue um the bubble at the MGM Grand because, um, you know, the, the stringency, if that's even a word, um, that goes in uh, and, and the preparations and the precautions and everything for this event, um, they've they've basically called it the bubble because, uh, you know, you can only get in there if you're coronavirus free. Michaela Mayer was supposed to fight on the bill, but to her surprise, she failed a test when it comes to coronavirus. So her and her team were thrown out. 
um, before she entered the bubble, and the bubble is a safe haven, um, a coronavirus-free zone. But on the actual bill itself, um, there was, I think it was five fights in total. Um, Opening up the bill was Rabisi Ramirez. Um, That, of course, is the... 2016 Olympic gold medalist. Um, he, you know, had a terrible debut. He, he, he uh, you know, he lost his first fight by, by a split decision when he was down in that four rounder. I think I was actually uh, over. I think I was over with with you in the states at that point, Eddie. But I could be wrong. Um, but anyway, he 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 opened up the card like I say, a first round TKO over his opponent Yuri Andujar, who only had a record of five and three. He was down twice in that in that first round. Um, the final knockdown came from a left hand in which Ramirez caught Andujar uh, with with two shots, you know, flush, and it was a big knockdown. It was a good call from. Referee Tony Weeks to stop the action. Um, then came, I think it was right after that, um, Guido Vianello, the Italian heavyweight, undefeated, um, 6-0 and um, going in. He's now 7-0 and with 7 KOs. A sparring partner of Tyson Fury speaks very, very highly of Tyson when they asked him after the fight. You know, what do you benefit from sparring a guy like Tyson Fury? He said, I, I learn a lot. He's the best in the world. So, um, yeah, Guido Vianello... Um, you know, good fighter, very bright future. He took on Don Hainsworth, who had a record of 16 and three with a draw. Um, Don Hainsworth was was stopped in in the first round there. Yeah, good first round knockout, chopping right hand had Hainsworth on the deck, and he did get back up. But I don't know what he said. He said something to the referee, and the referee stopped it because at first I thought, you know, that's very premature. Um, but because there's no fans, you can hear what they're saying. And <laughs> and Hainsworth actually said to the ref to the referee, I, I heard him say, I didn't mean it like that. So I guess the referee must have said, do you want to continue? And he must have said something along the lines of no, or something a bit unclear. And then, um, you know, he was complaining after saying, I didn't mean it like that, though, <laughs> which was funny. Um, also, we got to see, of course, the main event, Shakur Stevenson, friend of the show. Not a defense of his title, of course, but he was back in action. 14-0 and now, his record, a win um, over Felix Caraballo, who had a record of 13-1, and now 13-2, and with two draws, a KO in six rounds for Shakur Stevenson. Um... Shakur Stevenson, you know, he was planting his feet more often than we've previously seen from him. He was letting his hands go. He was looking like he may be carrying a bit more power up at this weight. He's moved up to 130 just for that one fight there, um, just to see what he thinks of the weight. I think he's going to be moving up there at some point in the near future on a more permanent basis. Um, But yeah, I'm not sure if he was carrying more power or you could just hear the shots more because there's no crowd. You know, you could hear everything connecting and stuff like that. Um, he, he he had his man down in the first round. I think he hurt his hand at some point in the fight as well. And it was a brilliant shot to finish the fight as well in that sixth round, like I mentioned. Um, it was a right hook to the body, and he followed up um, with a beautifully, beautifully placed left hook to the body. He was simultaneous. Boom, boom. Um, a sickening shot, and the referee immediately waved it off. Tony Weeks... Um, Immediately waved it off, which was a little bit weird, Eddie, because um, Shakur Stevenson knocked his man down with a body shot. He goes down, and uh, Tony Weeks immediately waves it off, which was quite strange. Haven't seen that before from a body shot. I don't think um, you know his opponent had actually said anything about stopping it. Um, 
So yeah, that's the action. There has been a couple pieces of news to mention, and that is, um, we're going to start with the first piece of news, which is quite shocking, actually. Former WBC light heavyweight world champion, Alexander Gvozdik, um, has decided to retire from the sport. Obviously, Gvozdik, you know, he he's known for beating and dethroning Adonis Stevenson in, in what was a brilliant fight. Then he lost his belt to Artur Baturbiev. No shame in that. Um, Gavozdik has been on this podcast before. I felt like he'd come back and, you know, and clean up, um, you know, that division. I'd have loved to see him back against someone like an Anthony Yard or, you know, any other guys, really. He was probably the second best um, light heavyweight in the world. Why not throw him in with Kovalev? Who knows? I feel like he had many, many wins to come when he returned and many, many big paydays, but he's decided to to retire, which um, I haven't really read too deeply into. I'm not quite sure the reasons behind it, um, but I wish him all the best in retirement. Um, you know, good man and, and a good fighter. And also, when I come to you on this, of course, Eddie, but it's been... It's been revealed now that Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua have come to some kind of agreement um, should they get past their next one or two fights. I think it's only one with with all the the coronavirus still delaying flights and stuff like that. Um, If they get through their next fight each, then they will be having um, a fight in 2021 and there will be a a rematch, I believe. I think it's a two-fight kind of deal that they've entered. Everyone seems happy, top rank, Frank Warren, um, Eddie Hearn, of course, um, which is, is very good, you know, but it's it's a big if as well, you know. It's no given that, that Tyson's going to get through Wilder in the third fight, even though we all think he will, but, you know, you can never write someone like Wilder out. And, of course, Anthony Joshua, um, I, I'm not sure who he's going to be fighting, but if it is going to be Pulev, you can't really write him out, you know. So both men have to keep their eye on on what's in front of them rather than what's, you know, coming in the future. But they'll both make a ton of money, and hopefully 2021 will be a brilliant year in heavyweight boxing. We'll see one champion, one name, one face. Um, just talk to me about that one, Eddie, uh, just briefly before we get on to your lockdown, knockdown edition two. <laughs> It's great for boxing. It's great for especially heavyweight boxing. And we haven't seen these types of things happen, you know, like especially in the recent years, often where, you know, the best fighting the best constantly. So, uh, you know, with Tyson, obviously now having, you know, being the lineal guy and the one who beat Wilder, um, he's looked like he's trying to really, you know, globe trot, <laughs> you know what I mean? And just and just take over the world when it comes to the boxing thing. And we kind of jokingly talked about that, like that. You know, us basically Team Fury and Chambers would be basically, you know, running the world in heavyweight boxing in a few years. The truth is he is, but but I'm not I'm nowhere to be found at this point. But the idea of him fighting Joshua is great. It's great for boxing. It's it's like you said, one face, one name. You know what I mean? It's easy to follow. It's going to get people, you know, and then he's the kind of guy who's going to be everywhere with the belt. He's going to try to go everywhere. He, he gives me that, that kind of that Ali kind of feel. You know what I'm saying? Where, where he's the heavyweight champion of the world, not just of a few different places. You understand what I'm saying? Like he, he's willing to fight everybody, anybody and everywhere. You know, obviously mainly he wants to fight, I guess, here in the States because of how, you know, how it is, how it's produced here and everybody sees everything. You know what I mean? And and you know, everybody and to be heavyweight champion of the world, I guess you got to come here too. So that was all, all talked about in the past. So, you know, I'm, it's just great to see this kind of thing happening, you know, props to Anthony Joshua for actually taking the challenge and, 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 and willing to actually put the belts and stuff like that on the line to actually fight him, you know? 
Absolutely. Um, hopefully they both win their respective fights and we get to see that fight there. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much all the news. That's pretty much all the, all the, um, the reviewing done. I am just going to mention, um, uh, an event that's going to be taking place later this evening. Um, again, it takes place in this, this, uh, mysterious bubble that, that we're, that, that we're talking about the, uh, the, the top rank bubble in the, um, the MGM Grand, um, but yeah, this card takes place later today. Jesse Magdaleno, twenty-seven and one, he takes on Yennefer Vicente, thirty-six and four with two draws. That's probably uh, the best fight really out of this week's action, including Shakur Stevenson and stuff like that. In terms of you know a close affair, um, you've also got on the undercard a couple of undefeated guys, Eric Mondragon and um, Gabriel Muratella. They're both fighting. Um, a couple of other guys. One of them's actually undefeated, so someone's O must go there. Uh, there's four fights in, in in total on this bill. One is for the vacant NABF featherweight title between Adam Lopez, who's 13 and two, and Luis Correa, who is 12 and two. Um, so yeah, that's the reviewing and the previewing done. Again, we're going to keep it pretty brief with this uh, this 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 story from Eddie here, and then we'll be bringing in a uh, an in depth interview with our guest this week. And I'm just going to let you know I'm reaching out to a lot of former world champions, guys that were you know part of part of the top level of boxing through the 80s, through the 90s, through the 2000s, stuff like that. Not going to drop any names just yet, but there could be many, many more names to follow in these weeks where there's not really much going on in terms of... um you know, top level action at the minute. It's, it's come back very slowly. Um, when action does properly resume, then we'll we'll try and uh, go back to the usual format of having two guests on, shorter interviews. Let me know what you prefer. Let me know. Give me some feedback. Do you like the in-depth, long interviews with guys that have retired, or, uh, or or do you like the you know the guys that are still boxing, the more relevant guys? Let me know. Um, but yeah, we're trying to give it. A little, a little bit of both, a little mix-up, and we're trying to do something a little bit different to all the other podcasts out there. So, uh, yeah, some, some, some more big names to follow, and another one this week. But before we get into that, Eddie, it's your time to shine. Here we are with another Lockdown Knockdown Edition 2. What's the story this time? Well, it's kind of, you know, resumes what we were talking about with, uh, you know, when I was in camp with uh, Monty and... Malik and Talmadge and a few other guys who were in camp, you know, with the guy who was the African guy, the African guy who had the nice, uh, the nice haircut that Steve helped out. You know what I mean? <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna kind of move a little, you know, a little, a little past that, and um, because we obviously, you know, we went through the whole thing, and we're gonna actually go to the fight that I had with a guy at the uh, Blue Horizon, <clears throat> which is a, was a great place to fight. You know what I mean? It was hard. It was always, you know, the fans in Philly. If you know, if you've been to the the Philadelphia Eagles stadium, you know what kind of how the fans are in Philly. But um, in the Blue Horizon, it's like a real, real wise crowd. They really understood the sort of boxing, and if you didn't perform, they was going to be on your behind. So, but I end up uh, and in these fights that we're going to talk about here, like these fights aren't fights that you're you're really challenged in. You know what I mean? But we're young, you know, I was a young kid, uh, you know, coming out of that camp with Monty and all of that, your eyes wide open. And all, every, every time I had a fight coming up, I'm super nervous. I'm mad nervous. I'm like, you know, like, like, like it didn't look like I was nervous, but I'm, cause I'm so quiet, but I'm in the dressing room, just like, you know, basically and like, you know, my teeth are chattering just, and just really like, just don't know what the hell to do. But, um, 
but I'm always calm. I, you know, I always seem to be calm, so it's hard to tell. But um, and the worst thing with these time, these kinds of fights is being in the back room and having to be the main event. And I think for this particular fight, I'm almost certain that I was the main event. And the guy that I was fighting, now he didn't have a great record. I don't want to get people to think that that was the case. I mean, this is one of those, like I said, one of those fights that are supposed to make you look good early on. But you know, what do I, what do I know? Um, so I'm in there in the, in the dressing room and I'm hearing different stories. And anytime you were in the dressing room, this, this is the kind of the thing, how it goes, right? Before the fight, you're trying to find everything possible to, to take this guy's credibility away to make him like, okay, he's not tough. He's nothing that I really have to worry about when I go in the ring, I should be okay. You know, because he's not that good. Now, after the fight's over though, it's it's the exact opposite. You want to make sure are you you're thinking like, dang man, he must have been good. I guess I'm just better than everybody else he fought. You know what I'm saying? And you kind of want to put him up and make him the best that best there was before you. You know what I'm saying? But so before the fight, I'm nervous. I'm like, what am what am I gonna do? I'm fighting this guy, and then you know different people have come to me, and then my manager at the time would be joking. He'd come into the back, hey man, you know this guy, you know his fights are like this. Either you knock him out or he knocks you out. So I'm in the back. I'm like, oh, I had to say that. Now I'm sitting there thinking, like, what if this dude hits me? You know what I mean? It's like athletes will tell you. They'll, they'll, they'll lie. Say, I'm always 100% confident, man. When I get in there, I ain't thinking. Trust me, that's bull crap. Especially when you're in there and you're at the pro and in, in the pro level. You're always worried, like, man, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, man. If this dude catch me, I mean, don't get me wrong. You're confident. and You know, you're in shape, especially if you are and you've been working hard and you were good. You know, all those things. But you're still thinking there's that one chance that this guy could catch you or this one guy could be on his game. You know what I mean? It's happened before. People have lost fights that they should have won. You know what I mean? So it's like you don't just immediately think, oh, this is a given. So and like I said, they said, like, which was true. If you knocked, if he didn't knock, if you didn't knock him out. He generally knocked you out. So I'm worried about that. So when I get in there and I'm, I'm, I'm on my way to the ring, and finally when you're on your way to the ring, for me anyway, the nerves start to go and it just starts to become like, well, I'm here now. I done worked hard. I did everything I was supposed to do. I was in camp. I was in camp up there with Malik, Monty, Barrett, and all those great fighters. And and, and and that was the camp that we had all of those guys show up when Lawrence Clay Bay and all that. So this is going through my mind and it's also telling me like, yeah, I'm, I'm – I'm, I'm leagues above this guy and I've had the preparation, so I'm ready. So when I finally get in the ring and all of that buildup and all of that worry and all of that hope that, oh man, I just hope I'm good enough. Once you, when you get in the ring and I can't remember Joey, I don't, I, I, I should remember every, every aspect of these fights and some of them I do, but some of them I don't. This one is kind of escapes me a little bit. I know I stopped them, but I can't remember what round I stopped them in and I can't, I don't, I don't know if it was first round, second round, I can't remember or later in the fight. This is John Sargent, right? No, no, no. This is uh, Marcus Rody. Oh, Marcus Rody. Yeah, second round. Okay, second round. See, so I'm going in there, and and like, okay, things. Now I'm starting to my confidence is starting to rise, and I'm starting to think. I'm starting to feel good. It's like Mike Tyson always described how you're feeling in the dressing room, how nervous he would be, and the closer he gets to the ring, the more his body starts to, you know, get. Oh, this is something I've done before, and then you start getting more confident. You start feeling better. You start feeling. Then you start getting angry and 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 just like a ferocious mentality, and that stuff starts to happen. Closer, so I'm in there now, and I'm in this mode. And then I get in there, and I'm no, no disrespect to the guy. I'm not trying to take anything away from anybody. They're all pros, even if they're not good pros. But I mean, I, I started to go in, and I'm expecting so much. And this is always the case when you're in there. You're expecting so much, and the amount that comes out of these guys' 
it's almost laughable. And it's like, I'm expecting so much because I'm, I feel like I, I'm going to the elites. That's where I'm headed. That's where I want to go. So I'm, I'm thinking that anything on my road is going to be tough. It's not going to be easy. Nothing's easy. <laughs> Man, was I wrong sometimes? I got in there with this guy and it was like, I know, like I said, no disrespect, maybe to other guys, he punched hard, maybe to other guys, he was tough, maybe he was good, I, I don't know, but to me, it was like a teddy bear, it, it was, what the freak, I'm like, I'm expecting more than what it is, and then you remember, they were talking about how he was a puncher, and he knocked, either knocked the guy out or got knocked out, and I'm like, look, man, there's only one way, to, one way this fight's going, he's going down, and I'm just like, I, don't, I, I basically, whenever I wanted to put him down, you know what I'm saying, and it's like, man, and I'm, and I'm a little guy, like, I'm not sure. I can't remember how, how tall the guy was, but I know he outweighed me. It just was like most of the guys that I fought in the heavyweight division. But I'm sitting there. I'm just un, it's just unbelievable the amount of preparation that we put in to sometimes get to events and it just be that. And granted, you should not prepare less because you think you're going to be facing less. You should always prepare at the, at the top of your at the top of your game and, and and prepare to be at the top of your game because the fight when they say train hard fight easy that's exactly how it should be and it was constantly like that with me especially earlier in my career so with this particular fight to go into this to, you know to kind of go into the story with, with this fight was all of that preparation all that time with Malik and the guys and my brother and we all up there and having all that fun even though it was always hard work. I get to the fight and I'm expecting so much that, you know, to come out of this opponent and it's almost nothing. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, damn, man, is this how it's going to be through my career? And I think this is what happens with certain guys as they come up. Sometimes they're spoon fed easy fights too long. You know what I'm saying? They get these kinds of fights all the way well, well into their 30th, 32nd, 33rd fight. And they're knocking guys out in the first and second round all the time. And then it's like, so when they actually do step it up, it's not, it's not that they're not good. It's just that they're not ready because they've never faced any adversity with me. I started to run into different fights and different diversity as I, as my career moved along. It just wasn't this one and it wasn't the next one, but anyway, okay. After that fight's over and I don't, and I want to say it might have been another three weeks or so after the fight was over. And, and we're always in the gym. We're always training. I get an offer. I get a call. Well, actually, my dad got the call uh, from my manager. Obviously, they called my manager. My, calls my dad let him know. We got an offer to go down to uh, train with train at Buddy McGirt's camp. And he had like a heavyweight factory thing going on right then at that moment where he had several different guys top guys down there and they mentioned one only one that i knew that was going to be down there the rest of them i didn't really know about and we didn't really talk about because i had kind of had a history you know a uh, little with him a little bit with you know him me knowing him from earlier which was uh clifford atn the black rhino i had an opportunity to go spar with him when i was younger but they said i wasn't ready so they didn't put me in so this time i'm going out in the buddy's camp let me just and in a sec eddie and just say um you know marcus Rody. Some of the people he boxed, I was just looking at his record. Oh my lord, he um he boxed everyone really. Do you know some of the guys he boxed? I know he boxed a few names. I know well, I want to say a few names up to the point when I fought him. I'm not sure after, but <laughs> up to the point when I fought him. I, I, which which names ahead, do you remember him boxing? Honestly, I don't remember. Right now, I don't remember. I know, I know. That he had fought some guys, but I really don't remember the names. Up to that, up to that point, I did. That that day, I knew all all about his record. But but now I can't even remember, to be honest. I I I'm I'm 
blown away by some of the guys he boxed, actually. Um, some of these guys may have inflated records, so I'm not quite sure about how good they were, but um, his first loss came to a guy called Ahmed Abdin. Um, not sure who he was, but you know he, he boxed uh, Tim Witherspoon, uh, Michael Grant, people like that. But moving on to the bigger names, yeah. Um, Marcus Rohde boxed Tommy Morrison. He, bro- he boxed um, Brian Nielsen. He boxed... Um, there was a guy called Joe Hip. You remember Joe Hip? Yeah, I remember Joe Hip. Yeah, he boxed Joe Hip. Um, you know, Joe Hip obviously lost to uh, Bruce Seldom for the for the heavyweight world title. Um, he boxed Dickie Ryan. He boxed um, a guy called Jeremy Williams. I'm not too sure. Yeah, Jeremy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so he boxed him. Um, he boxed Lance Whitaker. Oh he gosh, boxed. Yeah, he never. He boxed Vitaly Klitschko, <laughs> oh, Lamont, Lamont Brewster, Jesus. Shannon Briggs, <laughs> Lou Savarisi, Andrew Galata. Andrew Galata? Yeah. Butterbean. Yeah, you know. And he actually boxed, I knew he's... Hey, listen to this. He boxed, uh, he boxed Calvin Brock as well, obviously, a former opponent of yours. Well, an eventual opponent of yours if we're going to go through the timeline. The, the the fight after you, he loses to you by TKO in two rounds. His very next fight was against who? Man, I have no idea. You got me on the edge of my seat thinking about this. Riddick Bowe, man. Oh, my God. He fought Riddick Bowe? Oh, God. At that time? Good Lord. Yeah, he, he fought Riddick Bowe. He got stopped in two rounds. And then, yeah, he went on to box... Um, Lou Savarisi again. He boxed um, Bruce Seldon um, and Joey Abel coming, you know, John Sargent as well. Um, John Sargent. He boxed boxed Joe Hanks. Man, he boxed everyone. And you know what? He even boxed um, uh, Galen Brown. He lost to Galen Brown. (laughs) Really? That's (laughs) So he that boxed true. everyone. That's... Can you believe that? How many names was there, man? Gosh, I, I, you know... I wish him all the best. I hope he's doing okay these days. That's a lot of fights. That's a lot of fights to have. But you know what about him? You get to a certain point in your career. Now, obviously, just like anybody else, I mean, I don't know what his record started out. He probably maybe started undefeated or fought a couple fights, won a couple fights. But you get to a certain point where it's just like, look, it's part of the game. I know what I'm here for. You know what I mean? I, I expect you to be too good for me. So with that being said, I'm going to get in there and I'm going to try for five, about five, 10 seconds. Once I see that it's not going to happen, I'm getting out of there. And I, I don't want to disrespect the guy. Obviously, like you say, he's been in the ring with everybody he didn't win, but he was in the ring with a lot of guys. You know what I mean? As a professional, regardless, you still got to come in. You got to You had to have the balls to get into the ring and stand in front of these guys, even if it's only for a few seconds. And trust me, it's still not a very easy thing to do. Now, with guys like him who's been gotten, you know, have gotten used to it, it's still, man, it's a dangerous thing to do. It's a dangerous way to make a living. And um, I just, I commend, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for him because I needed him at that moment anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? And for experience, because I remember having conversations with the guy, and he kind of let me know and say a couple things. You know what I mean? Uh, about, you know, moving on and what he's done, and you know all that stuff. He's a little older than me, obviously, so. You know, it's just it's just those kinds of things are, are, are things you need as a young fighter coming up, and he was one of the guys. Yeah, you don't get you don't get many heavyweight 
heavyweight journeyman, um, to be honest. And that's why. Yeah. Um, yeah, back onto your story, Eddie. So you're, 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 you've gone over to Buddy McGirt's training camp. Um, the yep. Black Rhinos yep. there, who, of course, would go on to box. He hadn't boxed Mike Tyson at that point, had he? No, no. No, not yet, not yet. He was, I think it, no, he might. Has he, did he fight Mike at that point? What year I'm not sure. We're in 2004, right? I think going into yeah 2004, it was it was about the summer of 2004, and you know what it's like down in Florida in the summer of 2000, and what well, a summer period is hot. So, but anyway, we we were uh, we were on our way down to uh, Florida, and I had to go through my favorite favorite mode of transportation, oh, yeah. which is flying. No, he he had boxed he boxed Clifford in in uh, February 2003. So yeah, yeah, that's what I figured. I, I knew he had fought him on. I, I figured he fought him already because at this point his career has started to go downhill, yeah. you know, pretty good. After I think who he, he lost to, don't don't tell me, but Fresno Kendall. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that was his first yeah, yeah. first loss, and then from there, I think he got another win or something here and there. But you know, but he just it was like kind of going down for him then. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, but I go down there, and like I said. My favorite mode of transportation, which obviously I'm being very sarcastic, is uh, we had to fly, which I was not looking forward to. But, uh, you know, it, so we get there. And, of course, I'm giddy. I'm happy. I'm just happy to be down uh, out of the damn air. But I get there. And the first thing they want us to do is they want us to come to the gym because, you know, it's it, when we when we landed, I think it was like noon or something like that. Or, I don't know if it was noon when we landed, but it was in the morning. So as we're getting, you know, settled in and we get to the point that we're, where we're going to be staying or whatever – which is like like right across the street from where Buddy's gym was. We put our bags in and we go to the gym. Actually, no, I'm sorry. We went. It was around. It was a little. It was like a little ways away. It was like around this little small hotel that we were staying at. Which we had. There was another young guy. I was going to tell you this. There's another young guy who had ties to uh, Fat Joe in the Terror Squad and Big Punisher. I don't know if you know who that is, Joey, but he's a rap rap artist or whatever. And I remember he had this big there's chain. Only, this yeah, big... There's, there's only one fat Joe in the UK, and that's me, but yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that. But no, I'm going to check it out. But he had that big TS chain on, that big terrorist squad. I remember he was, real, he was a real cool guy, real nice guy, but he had a crew with him, and they was all supposed to be a part of the terrorist squad. I was just like, and we were all in the same hotel. And this is when we were young. We're impressionable. Like we're, I'm like, what, 20? like 20 maybe 21 22 something like that steve is like a baby he's not even 20 yet i don't think and um we're like oh man he he's working with big pun and 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 fat joe and all that i'm like man that's amazing and we're you know talking with these guys then we go from there and we're staying in the same hotel as, as those guys we go to the gym and of course the black rhino's there Michael Moore was there. I think Michael Grant was there. I'm like, dude, man, there's all these heavyweights, these other some un- unnamed heavyweights that I probably would know who they are if I could remember who that was at that particular time. Like, I would probably know them as a as a top fighter, you know, even a top level journeyman at some point. But I can't remember who the guys were, <laughs> like some of the other heavyweights that were there. And I'm sitting there like, man. And then I got to spar with them all. So of course, you know, I'm still remembering at the time they were telling me like how great. Toronto was and all that heat he was bringing and you know he's busy and he throw all these punches and blah 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 so you know all of this is going through my mind but you know everybody has a little attitude at times and I got a little attitude with that because I'm thinking about those things they told me and I'm thinking about how they was talking about oh these guys this guy might be too much for you and, and I don't know if you're going to be ready for him 
So I'm thinking about that. I'm like, wow, let me get in there. I'm going to show these dudes how I'm going to put my foot like all the way where the sun don't shine. And I'm going to show these dudes that I'm, I'm, I'm really here. And at this point, I got a little more confidence from being in camp with Monty and being around with those guys, spawned with Clay Bay, who actually coincidentally have fought him at some point in his career. And it's just like, you know, I'm ready for these guys. And I'm still a little nervous because this is the Black Rhino. And at that time, he was he had that, you know, that music playing behind him a little bit, kind of. I mean, it started to fall off a little bit. But, you know, I'm still a young kid that nobody even knows. You know what I mean? None of those guys even knew who I was at the time. And so I get in. And my dad, you know how my dad is. You know, he's, you better do, you know, you better do this. You know, with his, the way he talking in my ear constantly telling me what I better do. You know what I mean? So I'm sitting there thinking, like, don't worry. I'm going to get in there today. So I got in. And like I said, I'm still nervous. And I'm ex- once again, now this is sparring, but I'm expecting all this heat. Now, the, ex- the heat that I got was not what I was expecting. It wasn't from the, from the rhino. It was from the damn air. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was, you know, and this is like one of those, um, one of those like uh, garages, like it's especially made garage, not like a garage where, you know, your car is parked in. This is a big garage. Like you can put things in. It's like a, a building almost, you know what I mean? So, and they have the, the, the thing retracted up so that you can, you know, the, the door up so that the air can come in and out. But man, I'm telling you, it's so hot out there. Like you could just, it, it, it just burns you up. Like, like you two or three, you're going through two, maybe three shirts a day being down there at that time. But anyway, so I'm in there with the guy and I'm dealing with the heat doesn't really it's not bothering me too bad because i'm the only thing i'm thinking about is dealing with this guy and once again i'm expecting like this unbelievable heat and this and this guy's throwing combinations and heavy punches and i'm just not ready and no disrespect to him once again but i tore him to i ripped him to shreds i couldn't believe it i'm in there like yo why is this so easy like and, and i'm thinking like though this is the rhino and i'm saying who who what what is going on? Like, it, am I either am I this good or are these dudes that bad? I mean, what's going on? You know, oh, well, maybe he's not in shape. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe he's not this. Maybe he's not that. Or maybe something's wrong with him. And that's see, that's my problem. Not just being confident in how good I am as a fighter. I'm always looking at myself like something's got to be wrong with somebody else if I could just beat him this easily. You know what I'm saying? And I'm sitting there like, and I'm in and, and, and like I'm hot. And everything in there, you know, you get a little tired, but I ain't, I'm I'm not getting too tired because I'm still in my mind, like can't believe what's going on. And my confidence is just growing and growing. I'm spinning them, hitting them with combinations and, and and moving a little and then cracking them with right hands. I'm like, wow, damn, it, it's just, it's almost a shock. I go like three, maybe three, maybe four rounds, maybe a little less than that with him, maybe three rounds. And he gets out like he just gets out. Like, yeah, that's a, that's done, man. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm hot. You know, I mean, let me get up out of here. Next, next up, Michael Moore steps in. Michael Moore, former world champion. I'm so I'm looking like, damn, I gotta get in here with Michael Moore. And he was fresh as well. You know, you just done a few rounds with uh, with, with 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 the Rhino there, so he he he's yeah. fresh. Right. So, with that being said, he's fresh. But I'm still thinking, and this is Michael Moore. So I'm like, now Michael Moore is a little, you know, he's older. You know what I mean? He's not where he once was. He's still fighting. He's still, you know, trying to get in there. I think he had pretty decent fights after that. Um, not big, not super big. At least I don't remember for sure. I can't really say. Um, he actually might have fought two after that. Anyway, I, I, I digress. So I'm in there once again. Man, they, 
they just throwing them in here at me today. Like, what's going on? And my dad over in the corner licking his chops, loving every minute of it. Like, my son will kick all y'all. But at the same time, he like, I don't care if they won't. I want him in there. I'm here. We here for the experience. And I'm sitting there like, man, don't you think we got enough experience for one day, dad? And, he, and you know, I can't say that to him because he'd be in the ring with the headgear on trying to fight me. But anyway. <laughs> but anyway, so Mike Moore jumps in. And I'm like, all right, now I got to adjust my, my, my thinking to Southpaw. Now, if I had the opportunity to talk to talk about one of the guys who actually taught me to fight a Southpaw, which was a guy by the name of Tim Williamson that I sparred when I was a kid in the amateur. And I learned a lot from sparring with him. I mean, tons of stuff from sparring with him as far as being a Southpaw. So Southpaws to me really are that big of a, that, that hard of a puzzle to solve. Even even now you, if you're a good fighter, regardless of whether you're southpaw or not, you're going to give someone trouble. It's like when I fought the guy to be so, you know, later on, we're not even going to talk about it too much now. But he was a good southpaw, but he was a good fighter just in general. So it's still difficult. You know, it still has its advantages. But anyway, but Mike, OK, so Mike Moore steps in. He's a southpaw. Man. And it's a different thing than what I had just faced. Like, I'm, I feel like, you know, the guy that I was fighting before was a pressure guy. He's coming forward. Now I got to deal with a dude that's somewhat going to box. But I didn't quite understand just how slow and how lethargic his movement and stuff like that was going to be. I didn't understand. I didn't think about it like that at the time. You know what I mean? All I'm thinking about is I'm boxing. You know what I mean? Well, you know, I'm trying to figure out what to do to, to survive in here with these, with, these, with these monsters. You know what I mean? Man, him, he was, it was almost worse with him. I mean, it was nothing the man could do at that time. Not one single thing. And to his... I mean, look, you got to look at it. He was older. You know what I mean? He wasn't what he was when he was Michael Moore. Michael Moore, like, when fighting Holyfield. And at this and, point, I'm a 20-year-old. when he was fighting Vaughn Shake and Bake Beam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Vaughn Shake and Bake Beam. Yeah. Yo, I love that. That is a dope name. I, <laughs> I should have stole that. But I don't my last name ain't Beam. But anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do you remember? <laughs> Do you remember when? Do you remember when we were talking about the, the nicknames and you were saying <laughs> you were saying if he changed his name to Vaughn <laughs> Kidney Beam? <laughs> yeah, Vaughn. That's the, hey, that's the shaken baked bean and kidney bean. Yo, he could have been just the bean. He's the bean man. No, I like that he's shit. Mr. Bean. Anyway, go on, go on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. No, but, but, and, hey, the craziest thing, I'm not trying to get too far off the subject, but how about this? Vaughn Bean came to Pittsburgh when I was a kid. Like, he was literally in the gym training with us. I swear I'm not bullcrapping. He was in the gym training with us. I'm like, damn, like, I think it was, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it was, it was Ron Bean and in this gym in Pittsburgh. I don't know why the hell he was there, but he he came up there for, I can't remember why, but he was there. And they was like, oh, yo, he fought Holyfield. He did this, he did that. Man, it was like, you know, that, that was, so it's kind of funny that I'm, uh, uh, Vaughn Bean, Michael Moore, you know, that's the connection. You know what I mean? I, I met all of these guys or both these guys anyway, but let's get back to the story. Anyway, I'm in there with, with what more Mike and once again just shocking unbelievable I just couldn't believe how easy it was 
You know what I'm saying? And it's just like you train and, and we thought we were training like I mean, that's that's all we did. That was my life. That was our lives. Boxing, obviously. And and with my dad being a straight drill sergeant, like you had to do everything that he asked. It was boxing or die. You know what I'm saying? So when no girls, like I told you like you know, they've heard before, no girls, no, 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 no parties, no other sports, even though you know I love basketball. It was like, yo, boxing or die. And that was that. You know, we tried to sneak those things, but it, you know, it wasn't. But anyway, so constantly working all that hard and putting all that effort in and just, you know, being in the gym 24-7 and you really see how you can really get better. Like you can get so much better than you would you would you would even believe just by putting the work in. And I got in there with guys like Michael Moore, like the black rhino. I got it was so bad and I ain't trying to start no rooms or nothing, but Mike Grant wouldn't even get in the ring, yo. Mike Grant wouldn't even wouldn't even spar. He was like, nah, I'm good. Staying right out of there. And I, and he was completely honest about it. Now I don't think he had a fight coming up. I don't think he really was pressed about it. You know what I mean? So he wasn't thinking like I needed that work. But he said straight up, I don't need that. No, I'm good. And stayed right out the ring. I'm not saying he was scared. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that he did not want to spar at all. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, isn't that, isn't it crazy? And then there was other guys that would get in there and it was like, it was like in a, uh, like you just bring them in assembly line, just slide one in, beat him up. He's going out next one, beat him up, send him out. It was like that. And I couldn't believe it. It was to the point where they was going to my manager like, yo man, where you find this kid at? And I'm like, I, I, I didn't. And, and they come, you know, and every once in a while, like my dad never tell me anything like that. I would have to find that out from somebody else. Like he would never tell me how good I was doing. He would always tell me how bad I did, but never how good I did. But anyway, different guys would come up to me and or like my like my manager would come up to me. He's like, yo, man, you know, Rhino was coming up to me, like pray, giving you high praises, talking about where you find this guy. He had to beat my head in and all this. Man, this dude is this dude's gonna be nice and blah blah blah. And and even with Hassan Rockman, like I met, you know, I met him and he was saying the same thing. I didn't hear this stuff. <laughs> unless they told it to me because you know my dad ain't going to tell me. But anyway, all right, after that camp, which was, t- to be honest, we had already had just come from Monty's camp. I think I had fought, and then I think maybe a week or two later they sent me down there. And we had never stopped training. But I was in, st- I was still in a camp mode, and I had a fight with a guy by the name of John Sargent, <laughs> right? And we were just talking about Marcus Rohde, and he had actually fought John Sargent. But I had a fight with John Sargent. I, I, now I'm starting to think, and all of these things I didn't think about at the time, because I didn't even know that he fought John Sargent. But I'm like, damn, John Sargent had fought Marcus Rohde, and that's probably where they got John Sargent from for me to fight next. And coincidentally, this guy's there's actually this guy's no, this guy's record was really good at the time I fought him. It was like 25 and three. And I think how many fights did I have up to that point, um, Joe? I think I had like one. He was uh, he was twenty seven and three, and twenty seven and you were eighteen and oh. Okay, and so so it looks on paper good fight. It's a it's a it's a yeah it's a challenge it's a possibility of a challenge. Yo, let me show. I thought Marcus Rohde was bad. Listen, and that's not saying that Marcus Rohde was bad, but to me at the time, I guess the way I was, you know, it was it was not what I was expecting. I got in the ring now. This is guy's 25 and 3. He had won his last two fights before I fought him. 
No bull crap. I could not make that up. He had won his last two fights before me. And his body, he looked like, I mean, he looked like he hadn't had a fight in years. I mean, I'm just being, that's just, he didn't look, he didn't look the part. But, like, it doesn't matter. You know, it's something like that. Something like that. But not, I don't know if he had much loose skin everywhere. But he just looked like, he looked like, you know what he looked like? He looked like a Native American, like what, like a Native American guy with the, you know, he just looked like that kind of, with that kind of build, like a like an older one, older version of. Is not trying to disrespect anybody, but that's what he looked like. I mean, anyway. <laughs> so he he gets in the ring, and I'm still nervous because you know I look at my body, and I think at the time I might have had a nice little stomach going on too, not too big, it wasn't crazy, and and it was crazy because I trained hard. All the time. I mean, I never had, we hardly had any breaks, but it was just the way I ate at the time. And it, you know, it just, it just didn't really do me any favors. But anyway, so I'm in there, I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, look, if you don't have, you got to have something to make me, you know, to, to think that you're going to be able to get in there with me. And it just didn't look like you did. But like I said, you can't look at a bo- you can't judge a book by its cover. So even then I'm still nervous about it. But when I got in the ring, once again, teddy bear i was like what is going on with these dudes like you're 25 you're 27 and three with man look i beat him i beat him so bad that i think he had to go to the hospital after it and it was only what was it two rounds i think or one well, yeah two rounds i think i stopped him in this middle of this uh in, in the middle of the second round John and I remember, Sargent, I remember, one round oh it was one round okay there you go <laughs> that, that gives you an idea Man, listen, I hit him with some of the hardest punches to the body I've ever thrown. And I remember him like, hit, I remember hitting him. To, I remember something happened and I ruptured something in there because he had to go to the hospital after the fight. But I mean, I destroyed this guy. I remember having it on video and I was like, man, it's just you expect with all this hard work and all of this stuff you're putting in and, and I, you're going to get in there and you're going to be tested. You know what I mean? You're going to be tested somewhat. Nah, man, I walked through him like he wasn't even there, you know? And it's, I, I don't want to sound like, oh, I'm invincible or, you know, I'm trying to make myself sound better. But these are fights as you're coming up. And like I just told you about these camps I've been to and, and, and the company I was in with these other fighters that I was sparring with and training with. These are elite level guys. Like if you're going to talk about, oh, these guys aren't this and aren't that. But when you look at some of the heavyweights now, these these guys were maybe better or as good as guys like um, uh, Dominic Brazil, you know, Gerald Washington. Um, who else we want to talk about? Even 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 the one that had the title. Um, uh, it seemed like a real nice guy. Uh, crap, Southpaw, the one that just beat Gerald. Can't remember his name right now. Ah, crap, what's his name, um, Joe? It was Charles his name. Martin. Charles Martin. There you go. Like those names that I mentioned, of the guys that I was in the ring with were. At a, even a higher level than the, than the guys that, you know what I mean? And I'm sparring with these guys and, and as I'm coming up. And it's just like I'm preparing to get into the ring and 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 and, and fight these dudes that, to be honest, don't even look like they're going to walk and chew gum at the same time. But fact is they, they got these nice records or at least they've had good fights at different points and they fought a lot of guys. And, and it's just like, man, it's unbelievable that I'm able to just do this. But then when you look at, the work I put in and the amount of time I spent in the in the gym and the people I'm in with 
You know what I mean? It, it kind of gives you that. It's like, oh, okay, fight, work, uh, work hard, fight easy. You know what I'm saying? And that happened to be the case in these, these situations. These camps that I'm speaking of, they weren't easy. <laughs> I mean, they, they, were, they seemed easy. The work might have been a little easy at times, not necessarily with Monty, but, uh, but the other guys might have seemed easy. But it, it took a great deal of work to get to that point. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's it. So we we gone through those fights. We mentioned there the, the, the Buddy McGurk camp, the sparring with former world champion Michael Mora, the sparring with Clifford Etienne, um, a guy who uh, who boxed Mike Tyson, um, got got dropped in the first round, somehow managed to eject his, his mouthpiece so, uh, so uh, and then laid there as if he'd been shot with his eyes closed, which was, was, was a brilliant clip. And he is now... Obviously, uh, going to spend the rest of his his life in jail after. But uh, I think he um, stole a car that had a woman and a child in it, and uh, engaged in some kind of shootout with police or something. I think he won an appeal. I think he got about eight hundred years or something in jail, but he won an appeal. Um, I think a couple of years back, so they've shortened his sentence now to about four hundred years. So he he will. Uh, yeah, yeah, he'll. Are you serious? Yeah, man, for real. You knew he was in jail, right? Yes, but I but I didn't know he had that many years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eight years. Like, what on earth? Why would you even? What? I might have, like just say. I might have exaggerated it a tiny bit. He um, I can't remember how many years he got. Um, oh, sorry, that was it. Yeah, no, I'm reading here. He was he was um, he was sentenced to 160 years. But he had his sentence reduced to 105 years. Um, but right now, you know, he's still doing stuff. He's now a painter. He, he paints artwork from prison. And um, he's also a, a, a barber in, in the jail. So, uh, yeah, he's a painter and barber now. And uh, once upon a he must have some stories himself. But he probably won't be retelling this one too often, Eddie. <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. <laughs> Only on the Box Hard Podcast. There we go. So, like I said, we're we, we're going to follow this on at some point, um, perhaps next week or the week after. We'll we'll move through. And um, believe me, believe me, we're just getting started. There is much more to come. There's much, much more to come. Um, you know, Eddie's gone to camps with the likes of Hassim Rackman, with the likes of Klitschko. We'll get to, of course, the the big fights in Eddie's career. Um, we'll, we'll move on to it a bit more swiftly, um, perhaps next week or, or the week after when we when we pick up this and uh, we'll, we'll bring out the third edition. But yeah, we're gonna. You know, I'm really excited for the uh, for the Klitschko camp, the Klitschko fight, the Adamek fight, the Povetkin fight, stuff like that. Many, many big, big uh, stories to come. Um, but yeah, that's about it, though. That's about it for all the talking from myself and Eddie. Eddie, if you just want to sign yourself out, and then I'll bring in our sole guest on this week's show. Well, look, man, it was it was awesome to do this again. I, you know, bring back brings back memories. I feel like I'm so old now with all this old stuff going on. But I always talk to my, my, my guys, friends of mine who are basketball players, right? And they got all these nice basketball stories. And I'm like, man, I want some stories. I want some basketball stories. And I'm thinking like, wait a minute. I had a whole story, like a story. In the, and, and I had two or three stories to tell, more than that. You know what I mean? So and now this is the opportunity for me to actually see what, you know, to tell people, you know, from the inside, from where they don't get an opportunity to watch, you know, I mean, to see or to, to hear very often about what goes into being a fighter at this level. 
You know what I mean? So it's it's awesome to do this. I'm I'm enjoying it, and let's keep it going, Joe. Let's keep it going. Another um, another. We could have called it. We could have called it a trip down memory <laughs> pain. Oh, that's another good one. A trip down memory. Some of it's pain, but a lot of it's funny. Yeah, true. <laughs> true, say. true. Again, but no, again, we're pain. Remember? We, yeah. We're stuck with the lockdown knockdown for now, but if anyone has any suggestions that are better than, than what I thought up in, in about 10 seconds, um, then yeah, send us, send us those suggestions at Box Hard Podcast. But that's everything. That's all the talking. That's all the talking from this week. The final thing to do is to welcome an in-depth interview with former world champion, Mr. Nate Campbell. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBA, IBF and WBO lightweight world champion. It is, of course, Mr. Nate Campbell. Nate, welcome to the show, my friend. Oh, man, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. So, Nate, um, obviously, you know, you were born in Jacksonville, Florida. What kind of upbringing did you have? Did you have a good childhood? Well, it was good for me. I mean, I'm here. I mean, in all honesty, um, I grew up pretty, pretty poor. Um, my father was sickly. My mother was, you know, out of the house. You know, we had our, we had our problems growing up. We we weren't, we weren't rich. We were just regular, everyday, work, hardworking people. My father was very sick, so you know he got disability. So we lived on that. And what what were you like at school, Nate? Did you enjoy in, enjoy schooling? Yeah. I'm guessing probably not. <laughs> I loved school. I was an ass. I was an asshole. I was a, I was a little asshole. I think that I was much much worse than than I than I probably can tell you, but I was probably better than I thought. And um, yeah, I want to ask you about 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 your career as an amateur um, before we get onto onto the professional game. Um, what what did you make of amateur boxing, Nate? Um, ah, I man, I had a thirty and six record, and um. I was pretty damn good, you ask me. Yeah. yeah. But I never i i made the Olympic I made the Olympic trials, but I went pro instead. And after I went pro, they called me to go to the Olympics <laughs> and represent America. I'm like, wow. And uh, I probably should have asked this question just before that last one there. But what is your earliest memory in boxing? Can you remember the first time you ever put on a pair of gloves as a kid? Oh wow! I was um first of all, well, I learned. How, First time I ever put gloves on, actually put gloves on, dude, I was 17. But the first time I ever learned how to box, I was five. Okay, so you, uh, so yeah, you started from a young age then, five, very young. Well, well, we did, we did the thing called slap boxing in the states where you open your hand and you you can slap your opponent. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, my friend. Right onto your onto your professional debut, February the fifth, two thousand in Florida. Do you remember much about it? Yeah, Fought a, yeah, fought a guy named Scoyfield at one forty-seven. I was one hundred twenty-six pounder, and um, I had to go up to make the fight. He was five and fourteen, but he was the only guy that was willing to fight me. Nobody wanted to fight me. That was close to my weight because I was such a animal. In Florida, people in Florida knew who I was. Florida, Georgia, you know, on a national level, they knew who I was because I've been to several national championships fights. You know, um, I've been to the PAL Nationals, I've been to the Golden Glove Nationals, I've been to the USABF Nationals, but um, I never won them. But I finished top five in the nation 
And um, so nobody really wanted to put that fighter in with me, so I had to take the chance of, you know, going up. I had to go up and wait. Yeah, and like I said, that would pretty much be the story of your career because you you never really had things easy at any point, and we'll get on to we'll get on to that. Um, let's fast forward to September fourteenth, two thousand and two. Now, by this point, you're twenty one and zero with nineteen KOs. You box former world title challenger um, Daniel Alisea. Obviously, we know him over here because he lost to to Prince Nassim for the world title, but. Um, it was on that Oscar De La right. versus Fernando Vargas undercard um, at the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. Um, what do you remember from that fight there? A brilliant win at the time. Oh, Alicea, man. Oh, great person. Oh, my God, he's just a great person. Um, oh, just... I remember us having a debate. His trainer was in Sean Razor. Sean Razor, good dude, can box and train. He knows his boxing. And he was trying to get in my head. And I'm Rather Sean knew or not, I'm a former basketball player, so I like I like to talk a little trash. And um the more he talked, the more I loved it. And so um I just I remember flipping coins uh, to see who walked out of the tunnel first and I won. So I walked out first and um I got to pick my gloves, which were Reyes gloves. I just knew Daniel Alicea could punch. I knew he could punch and he was tough. And um that's pretty much what I knew about it going in. I knew it was a big step up for me. Yeah, it really was. Like I say, you know, uh, you know, it wasn't much of a challenge really on the night, though. You was able to get him out of there in just three rounds for the NABA and NABF Super Featherweight World Titles. Now, two fights later, January 25th, um, 2003, on the undercard of Vernon Forrest against uh, Ricardo Mayorga in California, you lost your O to Joe Casamayor over 10 rounds unanimously. They took, they, That's right. they, they took my O that it night. It was a very they close took my fight. O that night. It was very controversial. Uh, I wasn't close. <laughs> it wasn't controversial. I bust him up. <laughs> what do you remember from that night? Because, again, a lot of the commentators are in agreement with you. They felt that you did enough to get the verdict. I knew that I knew that when I heard the scores that somebody got robbed. I said, oh. somebody was being mistreated. And I thought I said, dang. I thought to myself, dang. They didn't have to give him scores like that. They didn't have to take take the fight and make him look that bad. Then they call his name. I wanted to I wanted to burn the house down. I'm like, for real? And was that kind of the first time you tasted the bad side of politics in boxing? Because you taste it a few times, yeah. I feel, you know? Yeah, it re- to be to be honest, I was the next few fights of my career after that up until about two thousand, the next year or so of my career. More than a year, man, I really was lost in a in a fog. Mm-hmm. That fight haunted me. It haunted me. That fight haunted me till I fought Kid Diamond. Okay, we'll, we'll get on to that. But um, less than four months after this fight here, you're back out again against Edelmiro Martinez. Now, you'd go on to beat him in the rematch, but first came this split draw over 10 at the at the Trump Taj Mahal. Brilliant name of a venue in, in New Jersey. Um, tell us about that night there, the, the split draw. I was lucky to get out of there with the draw. Ooh, that's um, I was lucky to me. I thought that um, if, you, if people watch that fight, if you look at, I was really, I was still depressed from the Dallas Mayor fight. Um, I was having family issues. I was having issues with my my mother, who was I thought was I I didn't I didn't understand how to deal with people 
how to cut shut people out of my career yet. I never had to deal with it. There was never any real success in my life financially up to that point legally, you know. Um, and I started to be successfully financial and financially and people really, really, really. There's a such thing in, in, in my community as the black tax, and they were trying to exact the black tax on me. So that's your family there. That means when you, yeah, that, that's why that's who that's who you pay the black tax to. Okay, what what is that then for? And what for, it means, yeah, for someone like me who has no idea what that means coming from the UK. Okay, whenever the black tax is when you make it, when you make money or you start to be successful, everybody thinks you owe them, take care of them. Mm. You owe them to make sure that they have everything they need more. And even even if they never really did anything for you because you're related family wise, they owe you. You owe them. I'm sorry. Yeah, that seems pretty uh, pretty horrible kind of thing, I guess, coming from the people that are you know supposed to have your back and love you and want the best for you, of course. Yeah, and and, and, and it was no anger. I mean, it was anger then. But a friend of mine, like my my brother, like calling my brother from another mother, Jaime Palmer, he remembers the pressure and the things that were being done to me. He remembers how hard it was for me to even get ready for that. But I only had, you know, I was, I was struggling to make weight. I'd been struggling to make weight by this time. Um, just everything in my life was a, in, in a total disarray. I was starting to grow too much for 130. I needed to be at 135. Should have been there a year before. I, been that way before then. And, Nobody was listening to me. Everybody was telling me what I had to do and contractually what I needed to do. It just was such a hard thing. And then I didn't know how to compartmentalize anything. I'd never been on that space in my life. But I think that he fought a good fight. And um, he fought a good fight, and I just didn't fight a great fight. And I, I, was, I was lucky to knock him down. Hmm. Well, that's honest of you to say. Um, obviously, after that, your next fight would be Friday the 9th, 2004. You beat former world title challenger Daniel Atta over 12 rounds unanimously. Now, you also had him down three times that night in Connecticut before getting the IBF um, title eliminator fight against the eventual IBF world champion, Robbie Peden in, in March of 2004 in California. On this night, you'd get stopped for the first time. The fight came to an end in round five. What do you remember of it? Well, I tell you guys, I laugh about it. Um, uh, Daniel Atta fight. Atta hurt me in that fight. People didn't know it. Atta caught me walking in, and I, and I got hit. And I and that was because of the weight loss. And I knew that I was in trouble at the weight. I'm still struggling to make the weight. And the only reason I made the weight and that was I was that strong in the fight was because, you know, I was able to sauna and make it for that fight. But then when I went to the Robbie Peden fight, I was dying. I could not make the weight. And I, I started to blacken out during fights. Doing 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 um training sessions, I would I wouldn't fall down, but I would mentally like black out, have a lapse of judgment, whatever you want to call it. There's a I was just talking to somebody about this. There's a video out there of me sparring a kid by the name of Bernard Dunn, Ben Dunn, and um I was sparring Bernard Dunn, man, and I just blacked. And you can see me lean forward, lurch forward. Nobody paid any attention. Because I came, when I would come to, I'd come to him, play it off real good, start talking. You know what I'm saying? But I really wouldn't be good. And um, 
it caught up with me that fight. You, you can only be in and out of consciousness so many times before it catches you. And um, once it caught me, it caught me. And um, Robbie Thee landed a great shot. And um, <clears throat> to this day, I tell, I always, I, we, we we would joke about it. I'm like, well, why don't we have a rematch? And no, nah, I'm good. You know, you couldn't make the weight. I'm gonna take my wins and go on about my business. I said, you you suck. You know that, right? <laughs> He's like, whatever, mate. <laughs> And we, 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 it's, it, it is what it is. Yeah. And, um, I, and, and a lot of people don't understand that for me, weight was always an issue and I didn't know it was an issue because I could dehydrate myself for so long. And once I got where I couldn't dehydrate myself down to the weight anymore, it was too much for me. But if I didn't, if I hadn't have gone through, went through that would probably wouldn't be on the phone talking to me now. You know, I probably, there'd probably be no, there would be no reason for you to laugh, um, to have a conversation and laugh along with me because I laugh at myself. And that, that was the first um, Robbie Peedom fight, right? Right. Right, okay. So, yeah, four months later, you're back in in the ring. The rematch happens with Edilmiro Ramirez. Now, this time, the fight ends after four rounds when um, when... Martinez is 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 disqualified. Now, in the second round of that fight, you had him down three times, and you had a point deducted, all in that second round. Um, so yeah, quite a crazy four rounds. What do you remember of that fight there? And of course, yeah, and I, right in the wrong. Well. I, I didn't hit him low. The rough said I hit him low. I didn't hit him low. I didn't hit him low. But the rough has the right to call it where he wants to. Mike Ortega was the referee. Obviously, I mean, I didn't hit him low. Hmm. You know, I watched the video, and um. I just felt like, you know, it is what it is. You deal with what you deal with. But the cool thing about that fight was, a lot of people don't know this. I brought in this guy named DJ, um, 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 Mr. Montocadoba, DJ. And um, he got me down in weight. He wrapped me all up with these cool wraps and all this stuff he uses. And I made weight. I made weight. It wasn't hard to make weight. I came in about a quarter pound over at the first weigh-in. I, I dried out in the sauna. And I made the weight, and I was so good. But the saddest part about that fight was the next time I got ready to fight, Robbie Peden, after I won that fight, the fight was was, was going to be sent to um, Australia. And I didn't want to fight him in Australia. I was afraid of the flight and what it would do to my body, trying to make weight. And there was a lot of things I did not want to do. I didn't want to do it. I just didn't want to go there. So I, I, I told Lou DiBella, who was my then promoter, please don't send me to Australia. I'll take I'll take less money if you need me, but please don't send me to Australia. And Lou DiBella doesn't know to this day that I heard him call me. He called me. He said some really choice words about me, and I was on speakerphone. So I was on, um, I was, on um, mute, I was muted on the phone while my then manager was talking to him. You know, I heard him say some real foul stuff about me. And I made my mind up. I made my mind up 100% that I didn't want to go to Australia. But if I was going to go, I told him to send the fight the first day. Send the fight. I just did not want to go to Australia. And it wasn't so much being afraid to fight. I just didn't want to go to Australia because I didn't know. I did not know how. I knew it was going to be hard. But I didn't know how hard it was going to be to make weight. 
Yeah, I mean, like I said, this time it was for the vacant IBF world title. You you did end up in Australia, um, and yeah, didn't yeah. Get, didn't get the result you were you were searching for in that rematch with with Robbie Peter. No, and if you if you talk to the judges in the fight, if you talk to the judges in the fight, um, Brian Gare, who's from Florida, he he will tell you they shafted me on that, and they they took advantage of me. They allowed Peter to use his head, elbows. Low blows. They took they took two points from me in that fight for low blows, which it never was a low blow. And my issue is every issue that I would, every issue that people would think that I would have, I can't complain about it because that fight also taught me something about me. It taught me that I could take it, no matter what people did, I could take it. And of course, after that, you go back to Florida, you beat Johnny Walker by KO in two rounds, and then only six weeks later, you're back You're back against Francisco Lorenzo. Um, you lose a split decision over 10 rounds in Florida. Um, a strange result, really, looking back, you know, because I, you know, I mean, you went on to become a better fighter after that, but I still don't think he, he you know should why? be able to you beat know what? You know what the sad part, the, the saddest part about that fight was? Tell me. John David Jackson looked at me when I when he came because John I didn't train with John I couldn't afford to train with John for the for the, the Tiger Martinez fight the second fight I got a twelve hundred dollar twelve hundred and fifty dollar check I couldn't even pay John David I couldn't even pay my I could just pay my rent that was all I could pay was my rent um the next fight when I fought um Peyton it wasn't for any real money I paid John what I could he took what he could what it took. He gave me a break on the deal, um, but I couldn't. I couldn't take my guy DJ with me. I couldn't bring him in because I couldn't afford it. So I had to die almost to make the weight again. You get what I'm saying? So weight was always killing me. Then I fought El Demiro. I fought after I was released from um, Debella. I signed with One Punch Productions, and I fought the Johnny Walker fight. Then I turned around and fought the El Demiro Martinez fight. Not El Demiro Martinez, the, um, Francisco, the Francisco Lorenzo fight. Dude, Jim McLaughlin, who who I love to death, he, 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 he once made a statement. He said, Nate, you were awesome. Every Down to you got the 132 pounds. Once you got the 132 pounds, dude, you were a different person. He said, once you made 132, it's like everything in your life was a struggle. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, man, I felt so bad. And I lost the, when I lost the fight to Lorenzo, I never forget the next day I was I was I was seeing this girl I went to um I was hanging out with this girl and we went to eat at it was a Saturday. We went to eat this um eat it um outback steakhouse. And the first time they bought me the first time they bought me my um lobster, I wanted lobster, so I had three lobster tails. The first time they bought the lobster tails, it was too salty. So I sent it back. So they brought back they bought it back and there was no salt on it, but it tasted like I was eating a box of salt and I was terrified I'm like oh my god something's wrong I went to the doctor that Monday I went to my doctor that Monday and my doctor told me that my electrolytes were so off I was so depleted of of electrolytes and minerals in my body there was no way that I could make 130 pounds and and told me if you fight at 130 again I won't clear you I I won't clear you to fight at 130 again and I looked at the doctor and said, I can't go back to 130. He said, no, you can't. So if you look, there was a big gap. There was a big gap between, there was a big gap between Lorenzo for me. There was a big gap from, from Lorenzo to the next fight. What, five, six months? Yeah, four months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But that was a big gap for me. That was... But but after that Lorenzo fight, and 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 we'll, we'll talk about the fight that comes after that. But after that point, I know that a lot of people were thinking, you know, Nate Campbell isn't he's he's just not going to be good enough. He's not going to be able to become a world <laughs> champion. But you knew the ins and outs. You knew the, the the struggles with the weight. But did any doubts creep into your mind that you you couldn't go on to become a world champion at that point, or was it just what you know fans had to say? I guess at the time. Whenever I hear someone talk about. I used to be so hard on critical about people talking about this thing called suicide. And I tell guys, I think I was suicidal. That was the first time I think I was like, I could die now. Nobody would miss me. You know, Pete, I I don't care about this no more, man. I mean, I can't believe that I'm not, I'm just not good enough. And, 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 and it wasn't so much, that I just felt that way. It's just the way things that the things that people say about you in the press, <laughs> and the 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 things that people say, the things that people say about you hurts, especially when you give all you can, all you have. And for me, I was like, wow, wow, and I made a. I made it my business to just block people out. For the first time in my life, I, I realized that I had to block people out. I had to block people out, and I had to believe in myself. And to be honest, I was terrified. <laughs> I was terrified that I was going to be what they say, a guy that I, I never was. I, I gave up everything I had to chase this dream, and now I'm not going to have it. And I began to think, I'm just not going to have it. And... um. John David and me would talk from time to time, and I would tell him I wouldn't I wouldn't ever tell him my fears, but I would always ask how he, ask how he was doing. But there was a guy named Lenny Perez who started back started working with me. He was a pastor in the church. He's a pastor, and he would just build build up my build up my confidence. He would just say say the best things to build. He was good for building up my confidence. He couldn't teach me much boxing wise, but he just he began to build me up as a person. Yeah. He got you stronger mentally then for sure. Yeah. He, he was able to make me believe in me again. And, and, and that was what I needed at that time. And Nate, you mentioned about, you know, feeling that if you were to, if you were to die, no one would miss you. Um, did, did you ever, did, did the thoughts ever go further than that? Was there ever a time you were contemplating suicide or, or not? Oh, every, every, Every every I, there's not a fight I know that hasn't that that hasn't lost and thought about fuck it you know what I'm saying mm. if I died if I died today it wouldn't it, it can't be worse than this it, it, you know I've heard guys say that and I never thought about it but for that brief second I'm like hey wait a minute but I'm not a, I'm not a quitter yeah. and I then I understood for the first time I understood how a person could get thoughts like that yeah. dude I'm talking everybody was shitting on me and there wasn't one. Tell her it wasn't one place in this world that people weren't crapping on me, you know. In in the the one the one great through all of it, through through all through all my through all my my journeys in life, I had to stand up and be I had to stand up and be counted, you know. What I'm saying be accountable to my daughters and accountable to my to to all the people that I that I was I was in charge of. So I had to stand up through all that. And you and, and I tell you guys, you 
the strongest people, the, the, we put the biggest airs out in front, you know, the biggest front up about how we feel and what we feel. But nobody really knows, nobody really knows what you're going through when the lights go off. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. A hundred percent true. Um, you know, that, that, seemed to be a turning point though in your career you know things got better after that like we like we mentioned and like I said at the at the start of the interview you know nothing was ever really easy for you nothing was put on a plate four months later you're back this time it's on the undercard of Antonio Tava Roy Jones Jr. free in Tampa you box this undefeated prospect the biggest fight yeah the biggest fight in the history of the state of Florida you couldn't put a piece of paper between the people there (laughs) it was so packed. It was so. It was the most. That's the biggest crowd I ever fought in front of, at home in my life. In my home state, I wanted to, over twenty thousand people, close to twenty five thousand people, and you could feel you could feel the flow of their voices. You were you were thrown in again here. You know this. You're thrown in here against Al, Alma's Beck. Ten, eight, eight or ten days notice. How many days? I want to say it was a week. Ten days. A week to ten days. So yeah, this guy. Almazbek Rymkulov, 20-0. Um, I think he had a draw at the time, and his draw came to Joel Casemiro in the fight. Against Casemiro. Exactly. And I, knew, and I watched the fight. I knew that I beat. If, if he got a draw, I knew I won. Yeah, yeah and like I say, you, you won the fight in the 10th round, the, the final round, uh, where, where you stopped him. A massive win. That, that was what your career needed at that time, Nate. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. Um, I never forget what people were saying. Um, Nate's got Nate's Nate's done. I'm like done. I've been I've never been hurt. I've never been truly hurt with a punch in my life. There's nobody ever hit me and just knocked me down. Nobody ever hit me and hurt me like that in my life. You know, in my career. Even there are guys that hurt me, but I never went. You know, never when I was like on my best game and got hit, boom, and down I went. You understand me? I was never outclassed in any fight, mm-hmm. and I just didn't get it. And I never forget. A lot of people don't know this. Um, they were saying this guy's going to kill Nate. I heard this kid's going to kill Nate Campbell. Nate Campbell said to get a payday, and nobody knew I, I was making like thirty thousand, thirty-five thousand dollars for that fight. I wasn't making any money for that fight. I was just trying to feed my kids and and get back in the hunt. And I'll never forget. It was October first. It was my my boy's wedding day. I was the best man in his wedding, but because. They called me on short notice. I had to pull out of being the best man in his wedding because I couldn't say no. And um, Jimmy Walter, you could, if Jimmy Walter was, was was here, he'd tell you what I did. I um, I went I went back. Um, Oswaldo, uh, uh, my one of my guys was named Oswaldo, and Lenny was in my corner. And John David called me and was talking to me. And a guy named Jimmy Williams, God bless him, he's a Florida State Hall of Famer. He's going on now. He used to train Tony Tarver. And he told me, he said, um, this boy can't beat you, baby. He came in the week before the fight. He can't beat you, baby. He ain't got enough dirt on his fingernails. You know, it's all a good old old school training that I needed and built me up even more. And I was looking so good because I was already training. And I'll never forget, um, they said, this boy's going to kill Nate. He's going to kill Nate. And I said, well, if he's going to kill me, he's going to have to kill me because that's the only way he's going to win. He got to kill me to win. And um, I never forget going to. I got my. I you know before you go to, before you go to um, to the electric chair or to the death the death death the death chamber they give you your final meal. And I knew I knew about that from all the reading I've done and all the things I've done. So I um, 
I went to my man, my man's place called Simply Good, called Simply Good, with the name of the place, and I got everything that I grew up loving: macaroni and cheese, collard greens, rice, um, pig intestines that he called chitlins over here. In so if you're a southern boy, you might not eat them, but back then I was eating pork, and that's what I wanted. I got a big piece of cake. I got like big drink, the whole nine. I made weight every. I mean, I made weight already, so my la- this was gonna be my last meal. You understand me? This was going to be my last meal, and I was going to go die. And that's the way I looked at it. I'm going to have this last meal, and then I will go die. Wow. And while I was, after, I ate, after I ate my meal, I wrote each one of my daughters, Jasmine, Janae, and Jade, I wrote them a letter. And each one of them, I told them what was special about them. I told them what they meant to me. And I, I made, I, each, in each of the letters, I told them, if anything happens to me, to not blame boxing to not blame the institution of fighting, to not blame the sport, because this is what I wanted to do. I was doing what I wanted to do. I was doing what was necessary for me. I was doing what was important. The only way that I could feed them the right way, the only way that I could change their name the right way. And then I wrote one more, I wrote one more piece of, one more document. I wrote my final will and testament. And I wrote that will and testament, and I put them all in separate envelopes. And I took one, put them all in one envelope, and I, I folded them up, put them in an envelope, and I gave them to Jimmy Waldrop. And I said, Jimmy, I need for you to make sure anything happens to me that you make sure that you do this. You make sure everything is done in this in this will. He said, oh, I'm not taking this. Hey, I never give you I'm not, oh, man, I do not want this. Get on the way. And he couldn't understand what I was dealing with because he had never been there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I never forget. I looked him in the eye with tears in my eyes. I said, "If you don't do this, I'm not fighting." He said, "God damn it, give me this!" And he never curses. He said, "God damn it, give it to me!" <laughs> he and he, dad, blame it, put it in his pocket. And and Jimmy Waldrop is a, is a legend here, in this, and he's a legend in boxing, but he's a real legend in Florida. He's a legend. Even Roy, he's such a legend. Roy Jones gave him a nickname 30, 40 years ago. Called him Biggin, the Biggin. That's his nickname, the Biggin. And uh, and that's what Roy calls him, the biggin. And um, Roy was fighting that night, so I went down. I, I gave Roy. I told Roy, man, hey, go do your thing tonight, bro. And even though me and Tom were the best of friends, I wished him luck. And um, I told my boy Eric, I promised him a knockout that that fight. That was the only time I ever promised a knockout. But I promised him because he was going to kill me. I was going to kill him. And um, I never forget they came to get my ring walk music. They came to get my ring walk music. I told him I don't want any music. I said, because if I'm going to walk to my death, I'm going to walk to my death. And listen, I'm going to walk to my death like a man. There's no, there won't be a soundtrack to this. And I never forget walking to the ring. Emmanuel, before I went out, Emmanuel Augusta, Emmanuel Stewart came in and told me, you look. What gave me a big, a big boost, two big boosts that night was the fact that Emmanuel Stewart came up and said, you look good. This is the Nate Campbell I've been waiting to see fight. You look good. Because I looked so good from how I rehydrated and everything. And the next person that gave me a spark was all my friends. A lot of my friends came down to, to watch me fight. They just bought tickets. I didn't know they were coming. A lot of people from Jacksonville came down. And as I was walking to the ring, I could hear all – there's a there's – a, I don't know if you, you watch – do you watch American football? Never. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, well we, have our, we have our chant. There's a chant that we do here in Jacksonville that the football team is taking up. But here's the chant. 
It used to be a DJ on the radio. He used to say Duval. He would say Duval, but he's he stringing out real long. And so that became our war cry. It's like if you come to Jacksonville to a football game or you come to the right neighborhood, you would hear, hear people saying Duval real loud. And as I was walking to the ring, you could hear over 25,000 people in the room, but you could hear I don't know how many people it was so loud. So they do had that deep bass bellowing sound over the whole crowd. And I looked up in the ring. I looked up. I looked up in the rafters, and you could. They said they could hear me say Duval from the floor. And as I was walking to the ring, my old trainer Pete Fernandez was like my father. I call him Pop. He said, "Here comes a man. Here comes a man. This is what a man walks to the ring like." And I hugged him and kissed him on the cheek and got in the ring. I never looked back. My goal was to break Kid Diamond into a thousand little shards. And that's what I did. Yeah, you certainly did. But, um, you know, hearing that backstory there is, 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 is you know, it's extremely, it's, it's extremely interesting. It's, 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 um, it's a scary thing, actually. But this is where things are just real weird after that because after that you, you your next fight takes place in Atlantic City you take on Francisco Alvera now the fight ends with a stoppage in the corner after six rounds when Alvera couldn't continue due to a cut over his right eye but and I hate to make light of the situation but it has to be mentioned Alvera in his last fight had just killed a guy in the ring one month before he yeah. boxes you so again, it's a tr- it's a yeah. terrible tragedy, but it's worth mentioning, especially after the fight you just had. He could punch too. Yeah, he could. Yeah, he could fight. But but I I, I fought, I fought several guys and beat several guys. I fought two guys that that two guys that I knew of that killed guys. Yeah. Or guys died in the ring on them. I'm not gonna say they killed anybody. Yeah. You kill someone means that you, you know. Um, Ricky Keelis, a guy died in the ring on him, and I love Ricky. Ricky's family. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't. I didn't want to fight him, but I had to. But Francisco, um, Olver, he meant Olvera could punch. My God, could he punch? He could hit. He could hurt anybody. Yeah. And then, of course, after that, your next fight would would be against an eventual world champion, Isaac Slatchweo. Yeah, Isaac Hatchweo. I beat him. I A beat split him. decision you know, loss. I, I never forget. Go on. Yeah, I never forget that they called me the winner at first, and then they called him the winner. Then I can never, I never forget as we before before they were calling it out. He, I never forget him saying, "I lose this fight. I lose the fight." Before they called it out, he knew he lost the fight inside. His, he felt like he lost the fight. Mm-hmm. And when they called him the winner, all I did was congratulate him and walk out of the ring. But you know what? I knew, I knew in that moment that I was the best lightweight in the world because he was 168 pounds when he walked in the ring. Easy, wow. easy. Again, after that, easy. That's where that's where again the tide began to turn. You put together three wins. The first of the three against former world title challenger Matt Zegan. You absolutely schooled him over twelve rounds. Um, no one ever did that to him yeah. at all. Um, then you school Ricky Quiles over over twelve, and then you knock out Wilson Keyless. Poro. Ricky Keyless. Ricky Keyless. Yeah, Ricky Keyless is my friend. Ricky Keyless. That was the hardest fight I ever had in my life. Why so? I didn't want to hit him. Uh, okay, okay. I didn't want to hit him. He was my. Ricky's Ricky's family. My children call him Uncle Ricky. I never wanted to fight him. I never forget when the fight was made. I went to see my mother up in Georgia, 
And um, my uncle said, hey, Boobay, come in and let me talk to you. And he was talking to me, and the way he talked, my uncle has this real cool laid-back voice. And he asked me in the kitchen, he said, can you hit him? I said, I don't know. I don't know if I can hit him. I just don't know if I can hit him. But no, like I say, a, a, another win for you. Then you knock out Wilson Alcoro. Those three wins, of course, earn you a shot at the WBA, IBF, and WBO World Champion at the time. The undefeated 33-0 Juan Diaz, um, a guy that's been on this show previously. Once again, you had to travel here, Nate. You got your passport out. You traveled to Cancun in Mexico. The fight ends in a split decision win over 12. What do you remember about the night your boxing dreams came true, my man? For me, um... I always knew that I was a better fighter than Juan Diaz. Even I was signed by main events to keep me away from Juan Diaz, to keep me away from Rocky Juarez and keep me away from Panchito Bajado. Because I was, I was like, I was 10. If you notice my record, I fought from 128, 128, which is 126, basically, 128 to 140, 47. So I fought all those weight classes. And the best way to keep me away from them was to do what? Sign me so that they control my career. And, um, and for me, I, I, I just knew I was a better fighter than Juan. I knew he wasn't strong enough, wasn't fast enough, wasn't big enough, couldn't punch hard enough. And I liked Juan. But we made, in our mind, we had a game plan that I was going to say the most heinous, horrible stuff to him that I could say. Because he never dealt with that. I just, I just, I just knew that going into the fight that I was a better fighter. Um, I turned 36 the day before. I turned 36 the day of the way in. I celebrated my father's 26th um, death, 26 years of him being dead the day before the fight. I had just lost my, uh, a man that was like my, uh, had been like a father to me for 18 years, two days, two days before the weigh-in. So I, I was dealing with a lot of mental stuff, but I, that's why I keep telling people, all those fights before taught me how to deal with that moment. And I just, I went out and did what I was, I did what I was born to do. Yeah, you certainly did. Um, you know, what an amazing win looking back now because you were you were such a big underdog. Um, you believed in yourself, obviously, through your past experiences and at that point, you know, seeming to understand how, how mental of a sport boxing is, not just physical. Um, after that fight, obviously... <laughs> You know, you were out the ring for 11 months till the next fight came. The reason is because um, you were supposed to box um, Juan Guzman in, in September of 2008. That fight fell through at the final stages. Tell us about that that one there, Nate, that escaped. That, that fight broke my heart. That fight broke, that fight broke my heart. I was about to buy a home, and all my, I was going to buy my first home. And I was going to pay cash for it, actually. But that fight broke my heart. That fight truly broke my heart. It broke my heart in ways that I couldn't explain to people. I had to file, I filed bankruptcy shortly after that because I wanted to get out of the contract with Don King because, you know, I didn't get paid. I didn't get paid. For, I made weight and didn't get paid. And I was furious. I was furious. Ugh, it was just too much. And he knew he, this kid knew he didn't want to fight me. He didn't want to fight me. And he knew it. Just, just to sort of tell the story, um, you weighed in. He came in. Was was it? He came in overweight and then decided he didn't want the fight anyway. That's right, right? Right. Yeah. Both of us came in a little bit over. I came in like a quarter pound over, something like that. I went down and sweated off the weight. I went down and sweated off the weight. Came back, made weight, and he he didn't he didn't make weight. He didn't go down and try to make weight or nothing. 
he was walking around all slow like he was about to die. And I'm like, tell him, I said, tell you what, and Floyd Mayweather Sr. was his trainer. Tell him, don't worry about making the weight. Just show up for the fight. My exact words. I said, don't worry about it. Just show up for the fight. He didn't want to fight. He genuinely didn't want to fight. Yeah, that's, uh, that's strange. We don't we don't see that too often. And that seemed to, like I say, mess never up. In the, never in the history of boxing has that happened. Yeah, but no, that really messed things up because, like I say, that meant you was out of action for 11 months um, until the next fight came around where you were set to defend your world titles against Ali Fanika. Now, um, you you missed the weight yourself this time. You forfeit the belts on the scales. This meant that even if you did win the fight, which you did, you, you'd go you'd go home beltless. A majority decision over 12. Um, I'm guessing it was just a very difficult week in general for you here. What do you recall of it, mate? Came into the week, never forget that. I was talking about this fight the other day. Came into the week weighing 140 pounds. I was 140 pounds on Monday, as I always do. I made 140 with ease. And for the next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, next five days, I could not lose more than a pound. I was literally to a place where even if I went in the sauna, I couldn't sweat. My body would not give up the weight. I never forget Alan Green. Alan Green sitting down with me inside of the um, sauna saying, Big bro, I'm with you, bro. I'm with you as long as you need me. And I sat in the sauna with the the the, the, the sweats, the sweatsuit, my body oiled all up, the whole nine. I couldn't take I couldn't even sweat. That's how dehydrated my body was. And I have been sitting in the sauna since nine o'clock. I have been to con for like I've been inside for like nine and a half hours. Nine, nine and a half hours I had to sit in and out of the summer. There was no making that way. But I mean, yeah, I mean, you got the win, obviously. There was no other option after that but to move up. Uh, to move up, so you move up to 140. Your first fight of the weight was against the undefeated um, Tim Bradley for his WBO world title. The fight ends prematurely, though, when the action came to a halt in only the third round after you suffer a cut on your left eye. Um, one of the many times Tim Bradley um, connected with with headbutts throughout his career. Um, do you remember much about that fight? There it didn't really go long, of course. Tim Bradley, Tim, Tim Bradley intensely headbutted people. Yeah. He would intensely throw his head forward on purpose. And I'm at a place in my life where I'm, I don't have to candy coat nothing. He, he didn't want that fight. He he didn't want it. He wanted out. And so when he butted me, he, he actually came to the, the – when I when I had the decision overturned, this this guy came to the fight and called me a quitter. He called me a quitter because I because he had butted me in the face. He never wanted to rematch me again because he, he couldn't beat me. And at all, but he was winning the fight. I'm like, ah, he may have been winning up the fight on in the eyes of people who don't know boxing. But I was touching him in some, with some really nice shots, and the shots I was touching him with were designed to slow him down in the in the mid to late rounds. I was going to stop him. I was going to knock him out. Yeah, again, it's not it's not a sprint. It's a marathon, as as you know better than a lot of other people. Um. After that is where it seemed like your best days were behind you, if you don't mind me saying, Nate. You 
you obviously lose to Victor Ortiz, then to Walter Estrada. That's when you announce your brief retirement, but you were back five months later um, against Danny Garcia. Obviously, you came up short there. All three of those losses went the distance. You, you weren't stopped or anything like that. You'd go on to box a further seven times, gathering a win over Sherzod Nazarov, and then losing to eventual world champion Khabib Alakverdiev. I was That was the worst hit that I ever took in my life in the Khabib, Khabib fight. Yeah. I took all those, I took all my fights short notice. Those later fights were short notice. But Khabib, Khabib, Khabib hit me with um the most wicked head. But there's a there's a video of that fight. The video of that head, but that I took I want to say sixty or sixty or sixty five stitches in the face behind that fight. That head, but damn, damn. And and for me, it seemed like the more I fought, the at that point was I was just the afterthought. It is extremely hard to focus on a fight and do the things that you do the right way if you don't have the right backing. So for me, I realized that I didn't have the right backing to do what I was doing. So it would be best to move on. And when I when I finally retired, <laughs> my last final fight, the last fight I finally did have in my career, I didn't even want to fight, but I did it because in order to get – I was trying to stop my own promotional company to get them to put the money up for the for the show. I, they wanted me to fight, so I fought my last fight, and I was like, I, I really want to keep fighting, but I want to keep fighting under the right circumstances. And I I can't get up for the guys they put me in with, and I, even when I get the right guys, I don't get the right time, so I walked away. One of your last fights, obviously. You know, you you box Kevin Bizier, you box Terry Flanagan. I want to ask you about Terry Flanagan just from a British interest standpoint here. Obviously, you were nowhere near the you know the best of you for that night at all. How good do you feel, Terry? You know, I made. Do, you know, my weight was for that fight. Your weight. Um, the weight. The weight. The weight. One hundred and thirty-seven pounds. That was less than what I weighed when I fought for the world title and lost it on the scale. I I literally I, I keep telling people this. I literally set the fire alarm off in the hotel. You can check that with um. I literally set the fire alarm off in the hotel. That's how serious. That's how much I was trying to cut the weight. I, I just Kevin um I'm sorry, um Terry Flanagan wasn't a, he wasn't he was wasn't a bad fighter. I didn't think I didn't think that he was a world beater, but he was able to make the weight. At that point, I just could. I should have. I shouldn't have took the fight less than one forty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was and that was my fault. That, and I I I I deemed it. I deemed that that was a learning 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 experience for me. But even now, there are some guys that coach. I can make that way. I know you can't. And a lot of my guys that I've had been working with were asking me, "Why don't you? Why don't you? Um, why won't you let me go down and find I say because." I don't care about what you think is good. It's what I know is good. So I'm very finicky about weights with guys, especially smaller guys. Yeah, you've been there and done it yourself. You've got the T-shirt oh, yeah. about weights. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Kevin Busy, I fought him. I had, dude, I crapped. I, I thought I was about to use the bathroom on, my, on myself in the ring. I was fighting with food poisoning. Oh. <laughs> I told one of my guys, I'm like, dude, this is the most horrible feeling in the world. I thought I was going to have to tell him to put the bucket under my stool. Just let me sit on the bucket and crap in the <laughs> spit bucket. That's how bad it was. Oh, my gosh. That's, that would have been so something. <laughs> Dude, I was almost to the point I was about to say, man, if you pull my pants down, 
I will squat right here on this water bucket. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> that would have that. It was that bad, dude. It was all. But but these are. This is my career, such as it is. I, I went through it. I dealt with it. I lived it. And um, I was laughing one of my guys that I was boxing some time some time back, and I was boxing one of my one of the guys, and he was like, "Man, I don't know why you retired." I said. I said, because I can do this because I love it now. And I don't have to put up with the BS of it all. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't have to put up with them calling me on short notice and trying to feed me to some young guy who I could beat if I was given the proper time to prepare. Mm-hmm. Coming down to the last couple of questions, Nate, um, I want to ask you, these are kind of, you won't have to think much about, I don't think you'll have to think much about these questions. They're pretty short ones. Who was the biggest puncher you ever boxed professionally? Ooh, in the in, 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 in an actual fight. Um. Well, you can tell me of of someone you sparred if you wish. Okay, I'm gonna break it down for you. Biggest puncher I ever fought in a fight, without a doubt, was 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 um um Ali Finico. Hmm. Ali Finico hurt me, hurt, hurt me, hurt me. He hurt me. Um. I thought you were gonna the most say most deadliest. Uh, I thought you were gonna say Francisco Oliveira. Oh no, Alberta could punch, but it wasn't nothing like Ali Fanica. Ali Fanica, Ali Fanica, Ali Fanica, Francisco Alvera fought me, and I was on top of my game. And he, he hit me with a decent shot. He could punch, so you could tell he could punch. But Fanica literally hurt me. I was literally hurt. Mm. I was hurt. I was never, I had never been hurt like that in the fight. He literally hit me and made the, the, the air seal, the seal in my mouthpiece, pop. I thought he broke my jaw. But the hardest two punches I've ever been in the ring with in a sparring session or otherwise, a guy named Teddy Reed. Teddy Reed hit me. I thought he, I thought that I thought that I was about to die. I thought that I was gonna die. I literally thought that I was that if I really believed that I really believed that he meant to kill me that night. And he did he once killed a guy in the ring. But um wasn't he was one fifty four, wasn't he, Teddy Reed? No, he was 140, 147 when he hit me. Okay. I don't care what he ended at. When he was 140, 147, he was the most vicious piece of work in the history of piece of work. <laughs> but for as bad, as hard as he hit me, I want to tell you that Randall Bailey hit me so hard one day in the gym, Ooh. it angered me. It angered me. I told one of the guys, I said, he got to see me from now on. I'm, I said, I'm just going to make this ugly situation. <laughs> we got to fight because he hit me that hard. Yeah. He's, um, he, they're, they're speaking uh, about him even coming back to, to fight in bare knuckle boxing in, in, in the near future, which, uh, yeah. that'd be frightening for his opponent. Um, yeah. You know what, me and Randall, me and, me and Randall both, we're both talking about coming back for bare knuckle boxing. Oh, okay. Okay. I didn't know that. And, um, I got, I got these really big, big hands. I wear a ten and a half ring. I, I do my best work with no gloves on. Okay. Well, you definitely know. let me know if that does come to fruition, my man. Yeah, we're working on it. Trying to, I'm trying to, trying to see what they can get worked out. Um, I don't particularly care who it is, but um, we just it's, it is what it is. Um, I miss boxing. I miss fighting. I miss fighting, but I don't miss the the, the, the BS politics of boxing. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard many people say that. Um, was there anyone that you would have liked to fight during your career, but, you know, it nope. didn't happen? 
Yep. Who? Mayweather. Yep. I wanted to fight Mayweather. I was, I, I moved up to 130 to fight Mayweather. He moved to 135. Mm-hmm. And that was I was campaigning at 30 by then. Um, I really wanted to fight at 135, fighting at 35. Um, or whatever way. Um, I wanted to fight Marquez. I wanted to fight um, Pacquiao. I was dying to fight Pacquiao. I offered to take the fight. I had three belts. He had one. And they opted not to fight me. It's just camp and opted not, not, not to fight me. And that's the fight that I wanted. I wanted that fight at 135 for all four belts. Um, I wanted to fight Prince Nassim Hamed so bad at 126. I had all knockouts, and I really wanted to fight him. But I was my name wasn't big enough, so they just overlooked me. I was just a loud talker at that time. Yeah, that there were a lot of guys time. I wanted to fight. There was, there was, there was now, I'm, I'm going to make you laugh. There was one guy that um I wanted to fight, and he wanted to fight me as bad as I wanted to fight him, and we loved each other to death. We were both big fans of one another. He 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 moved on. He's he's gone now. He's not with us anymore. But um he would call me. He would call me on the phone, and be like I'm gonna kick your ass when I see you. Hang the phone up, and I would call him and be like, bro, you do know that this is called. They have call ID. <laughs> he like, oh my bad, my bad, my bad. What's up, bro? Diego Corrales and me wanted to fight each other so uh-huh. bad. We really thought that that would be like, that was the fight we wanted. We both wanted to fight each other so bad. And um, we would always talk about, man, I'll get you with that. I said, whatever, man. I said, you get hit too much. And he'd be like, whatever, whatever. I said, whatever. I said, you're you going you gonna to engage. I'm going to hit you with something, piss you off, and you're going to be in there swinging for the fences. And we would just be, oh, whatever. You going to come in and drop your hands? I said, I might. But we said, I might drop my hands, but you definitely going to come in swinging for the fence. He said, yeah, that's kind of true. <laughs> <laughs> and we would die laughing about it. And it wasn't nothing personal. And it was not, I just loved him as a person. I loved him as a person, loved him as a fighter. And I just wanted to test my metal against the guy who I thought that I really, a guy like that, I figured we'd make a lot of money together. And our families would be taken care of, and the one that had to buy the other one dinner. Yeah, yeah, tremendous fire, tremendous fire. That's when fighters were. That's when fighters were. That's when fighters respected each other. Yeah, generally. And it wasn't about. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't about who has the best watch or the, the nicest Ferrari. It was just we just respected each other. And Nate, did you have any regrets? I like it when people say no, I had none. But did you have any regrets? Everybody does. If you don't, you, you haven't lived. Every, everybody has regrets. And if you don't, if you don't have, if you tell me you don't have regrets, you're lying. You're lying. What are some of your regrets? I regret, I, re, I regret that I wasn't able to, that I, I regret that I didn't start boxing earlier. That's always going to be a regret that I have. Mm-hmm. I, I wish I would have been able to box as a child. And I regret that, um, that um, I didn't have the most, the best overall team around me my whole career because I think I, I left a lot of money out there that I could have made. Um, I just I have so many regrets about, you know, things that I wish I could have done that I that I never could do because that just wasn't in the cards for me. You know, there was no, there was never going to be a time in my life where I was going to be that guy that was going to, um, 
I was never going to be that guy that was going to have the best team, the best everything that other people have. So I had to do what I did with what I, the way I did it. Wish I could have, wish I could have made the Olympic team. I wish I wouldn't have went, went pro February fifth. But if I wouldn't have, who says that I would have became world champion when I did? You know. Yeah, you're, you're definitely. So there are a lot of regrets. Yeah. I, I mean, I regret that I, I, I regret some, I regret the woman I married. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I regret, I regret, I regret some of the decisions I made with, you know, with a lot of things in life. But if, if you don't have regrets, you haven't lived. Are you a happy man now, though? People who tell me, you know what? I'm happy with me. I'm happy with my life. I'm happy with my grandkids. I'm happy with my my kids. I'm happy that I can tell my own story, and I don't particularly care who doesn't like what I'm the truth that I'm telling. You know. I'm happy that I understand that my worth is more than what people think that I'm will, that I should be able to give them, I will I, that I'm willing to give them financially. I am um, I'm happy with you know the fact that I know what I what I, I know my capabilities are still in the ring to this day, and I don't let anybody tell me anything different about it. I just do what I do and keep it moving. I'm happy with who I am as a trainer. Yeah, I was I was going to ask you what are you up to now? So you're training guys, um, you're training amateurs or or professionals. You know, my last regret, and then I tell you what, my last regret is that I canceled my dates and went to the fight with a heavyweight by the name of Curtis Harper. That's my greatest regret in my life. Oh my gosh, you were part of that fight there. Yeah, yeah. My my career, I have there are things that have happened in my career that would never ever ever happen in history of boxing. Had never happened before and probably would never happen again. Wow. So so let me ask you about that. So I I never knew you were part of his is you were part of his corner for that night. So obviously you guys never had an inkling as to what he was going to do there. Well, I'm going to tell you the whole truth and nothing but. He called me to train, come work his corner. And I'm like, dude, I'll go, but you got to pay me to go because I have a lot of good clients that I'm working with. And I don't want, I'm going to lose money, but I'll do it because I promised Doc Williams, our trainer, that I would never turn my back on you if you needed me. And I keep my word. And um, he's like, all right. I said, so what are you making for the fight? I'm making 6500 I'm like, huh? He said, I'm making $6,500. i am like, dude. So all you gonna pay me is six hundred fifty dollars to go to this fight. Is what I'm thinking to myself. Uh, I'm losing. I'm losing. This is bad. This is horrible business. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna turn down eighteen hundred dollars with the clients for six hundred fifty bucks to keep my word. All right. If you can't find nobody else, I go. I, I need you to go. Okay. So I called and rescheduled all my clients. So we get there. I get to the. I get to the. I get to um the fights and he finds out that he's fighting on TV or whatever. Instead of having his name on the board, they had him in TBA because it was just, they just basically put the um, fight together within the last few days. So he's married to this chick and she knows nothing about boxing and she's the one that settled this contract and she made, she made that poor deal because he's on TV. The fight is on TV. They offered me 8,000 for him, for him to fight the same fight some months before and he told me no and then they came back and got to him through her and she took it for less money i said wow 
I could have gotten twelve thousand or better. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I know exactly what what I'm what, what I'm looking at. So when I get to the fight, I realize that this kid is out of shape in the sense he's just taking it on short notice. But I'm going to be here with him to try to talk him through the fight to help him out because I gave him my word. I gave Doc my word, so I'm obligated to Doc. And um, so he throughout he's a head case. The kid is a head case anyway. So he begins to have like, man, I'm not on my fight because they don't want to pay me no more money. Blah blah. I said, but dude, you can't renegotiate a contract. You signed the contract for what you signed it for. So we're going back and forth, blah 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 blah. blah. And out of nowhere, um, he walks with me that morning. It's a light, light, light drizzle. But he needs to walk to clear his head. So I walk down to the store, get scissors and get tape and get gauze, get everything I need. You know, do a scissors because I had tape and gauze. And I'm talking to him. I'm like, dude, you're asking me to, to go behind and renegotiate a contract that I didn't. I, I you when you when when I tried to get give, do fights for you, you didn't want my help. So now I'm just here to work the corner. That's what I'm here for. And I'm not going to renegotiate nothing. That's not my job. My job is to work your corner. And I don't think I was wrong for that. I don't care who knew it. I said it, and I walk, and I walk back to the hotel, and we get to the fights. And I warm him up, and he gets in the ring, and I realize him and his wife are all by themselves talking, and she's going to the ring with me, but she's not helping me. And if you, I have a picture of the fight. I have a picture. There's a picture. If you look at it, look at it. She's recording him walk out of the ring. So they had planned this already. They planned it. In my opinion, they planned this already. I can't prove it, but that's what I believe. And as he walked down that, those steps, he looked me in the face and said, "I'm out of here," and kept walking. I never wanted to work with another pro again, really. I lost taste, late taste for it. So, obviously, when he did that, I mean, I, I don't know the ins and outs, but surely he wasn't paid. So, did you get anything in the end? I lost every, I lost all my clients as well as my, the fight. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And and it was funny to me. It was it was funny because his wife, his then wife was like, he didn't even have money to pay for his hotel room. And I kind of looked at her and said, I I kind of I pulled out like I'm like I got seven credit cards. <laughs> I got my, I got two 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 bank cards. But I got seven credit cards. I'm like slim. Not only could I pay for my room, I could pay for your room. I'm like, but dude, I I know the game. I don't pay for them to hold my room for me. You understand me? Mm-hmm. I don't do that. I've never done it in my whole career. In 50 pro fights, I've never done that. So get out of my face and. I said, you don't know boxing. Everybody, and they saw you coming. I made the statement. I said, they saw you coming. They saw you coming. And um, I just, I was thoroughly done. I was thoroughly done. Okay. Well, thanks for going into that because it, it is, I mean, it was such a bizarre incident when it when it happened. Um, I want to ask you this. I'm going to put you on the spot slightly here, Nate. Um, we ask this to everyone that, that we speak to from overseas. Who comes to mind when I ask, who's your favorite UK fighter? It can be any era, any era at all. Favorite UK fighter? Of all time? All time, any era. Woo! Just your personal favorite. Man. That's a hard one. That's a hard one because I don't know how you guys deem Lennox Lewis. Do you deem him UK fighter? Yes, yes. You, you would. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, listen. When he when <laughs> when he was in the Olympics, obviously he represented Canada. But you know, when he when he boxed as a pro, he, rep- he represented both, but mainly mainly Great Britain. <laughs> right. 
I'm trying to think, man. It was so many great fighters. Man, it was so many great fighters there, man. You had um, the, 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 the dark, dark. Ah, nah, I wasn't a big Princess Seam fan. <laughs> I, I did not like him. I just, you know, I, I just liked the other guys more. But, it, well, I guess, I guess, I guess even if, if the pick of a guy from over there, Nassim was the most, he was the most incendiary guy. He was, he would put you, get you out of there. So I'm not, not, not saying I didn't like him for that reason, because I loved it. I loved his punching power, but I'm like, his style was so left. It was like, I just, I'm like, man, I was a classically trained fighter who wanted to see, but then I wasn't a classic fighter. So, I mean, I don't know what it was about Trish or team, my man. Maybe it was arrogance, his utter arrogance. And, um, Oh man, that's a hard one. There's so many good ones over there. There's so many good ones. There was so many great ones over there. Lennox, Lennox Lewis is probably my favorite of all fighters that ever came out of that. Yeah, yeah, your country. Yeah, that's... Lennox was definitely um, someone special. He was, he was a special heavyweight. Yeah. He was a special fighter. Yeah. But he was even. Uh, I like. I'm gonna I'm give you one. So what is great? Who are? What other countries you consider UK? Well, the UK is made up of obviously England, um, Scotland, Northern Ireland, and and Wales. Oh, so I could I could um I could do Paul, I could do Carl Frotch. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's English, yeah. British. I liked Frotch. I liked Frotch. Yeah. I liked Frotch. I liked Frotch. Frotch was one of those guys I, I liked. I liked the guy he fought that um George. What's his George name? Groves. I liked him. <laughs> There's so many guys over there. Groves was just a a dog, man. He was a dog. Oh my God, I like his style. His his dogged whatever. He had a whatever mentality. What about Joe Kawasaki? So you Did you like do? Joe Kawasaki? Nah, I thought I thought that Joe Kawasaki. I don't care who don't like what I'm finna say. He wouldn't fight the best guys when they were on top of the game, and they shouldn't have had to come to him. And I feel like <laughs> that he should have had to come over here and fight those guys like Roy Jones and Bernard Hopkins in their prime. That's my opinion. Okay, well, yeah, they're, you know... The, the... Oh, I'm going I'm, I'm to piss a lot of people off with that one, I know. <laughs> what about Ricky Hatton? I like Ricky Hatton. I liked him. Um, I liked him. I didn't have a problem with him. I liked him. I liked his hard-nosed style. Mm-hmm. I wanted to fight him at one point. Mm-hmm. I thought we'd be a good fight. I thought we'd be really do good. I thought we'd do good work together because both of us were going to be close. We're going to be fighting in, in, in a tight fight. I thought that would be like a... I thought that would be a fight for for all ages. Do you know what? There's one Brit which really you guys could have actually fought. Maybe there was, I don't know if there was ever any talk of it, but um, Junior Witter. You and Junior Witter. That's I like fight. Junior Witter. Yeah, I would have fought. I want, I, he was at 40, I was at 30, 35 at the time. 30, 35. Okay. But I would have loved to fight Junior Witter. Yeah. I, liked, I liked him. I liked his awkward style. Um, I'm going to tell you somebody that called me out and then wouldn't fight and then wouldn't got knocked out by somebody else. <laughs> um, Amir Khan. Oh. He called me out. I said, "Well, we can do it." I, I had to watch. I said, "When you want to do it?" They never. He went and got knocked out by somebody else. Yeah, I mean, and it wasn't nothing personal. I just was the kind of guy that I wanted to fight everybody who wanted to fight me. Yeah, no, that's fine. And um, 
coming down to yeah, that just the last thing really, Nate, before I let you go. Um, if if there's any closing words you want to just send to anyone that may be listening, obviously, you know, you don't do tons and tons of interviews with 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 UK boxing media. If you've got any any message you want to send to your supporters over here in the UK, um, now's the time to. to take I don't it. have any. You do, you do. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I want to tell. Um, I want to say. Um. I thank all the UK um, fans that have always supported the ones that were the nice. I like the ones I like. I like a hole fans that were jerks and just stand up for who they who they love and believe in. I, I like that kind of fan, no matter where they're from. Um, I think um, I think that um, we need we need America needs to re-embrace what the Brits are doing. How the Brits are selling out big big venues. They they charge less for the tickets, the dollar face amount, so they can fill up big arenas. So I really love the way that the Brits do business when it comes to the packing arenas. I think that the that the overall way of promoting a fight, the lost art of promoting, which Don King was was the last guy to really promote fights like that, is lost in the United States in a lot of cases, a lot of times. But I think that it still it still lives and breathes in Britain. So I want want to tell everyone over there to keep doing those shows, man. Keep keep piping those kind of fights and keep making sure that the world sees good, big, big, big rooms filled with people cheering for their guys. That is important. It is something that we love to see as real boxing fans like myself love to see. And um, thank you guys for being so supportive over the years. Well said, my friend, well said. But listen, Nate, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing your career this week and your life outside of the ring. Thank you so much for your time, and I hope we can speak again sometime soon. All right, thank you very much. Okay, and this wraps up episode 243 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. A massive thank you to my co-host this week, the ever-returning former heavyweight world title challenger, Eddie Chambers. A massive thank you, of course, to our sole guest on this week's podcast, the former WBA, IBF, and WBO lightweight world champion, Mr. Nate Campbell. I embarrassingly forgot to mention in the review part of the show that last week's co-host, the former IBF junior middleweight world champion, Carlos Molina did of course promote and fight on his own card that took place on Saturday evening Um, I'm delighted to say that he won his fight when his opponent quit after I believe it was five rounds I think and all in all the show was a success he looked good, everything was great about it so uh, that's all positive, I'm pleased with that, but that's about everything from myself, thank you all for listening stay safe, enjoy your weekends people watch the boxing this evening of course and we shall see you all again next week